Hey listeners, on May 13th, we invite you to join us and Reed Hoffman for a new virtual strategy session presented in alliance with Capital One Business. You'll hear insights from fellow entrepreneurs about how to be at the forefront of leading change with AI. So go to mastersofscale.com AI strategy right now to register for free. Again, that's mastersofscale.com AI strategy. Looking forward to seeing you there. If you have two bodies, take the sun and the earth. Since the time of Isaac Newton, we know exactly how these two bodies move together in time. So we can say, okay, where will be the earth in one billion years? Or where was the earth one billion years ago? That's Dr. Fabio Pagucci. He's an astrophysicist at the Center for Astrophysics at Harvard University. And he's describing a fact that scientists have known since the 1700s. When you study two celestial bodies in orbit, like the sun and the earth, you can calculate their movements according to the gravitational pull they exert on each other. But there's a catch. I stress the fact that this can be done only with two bodies, okay? If you have three bodies or more bodies, this cannot be done. This is not that uh, we are not able to do it yet. It's just impossible to be done. It will never be done. It's true. Once you introduce a third body to the mix, the future movements of all three become mathematically impossible to predict. This quandary is known as the three-body problem, or n-body problem, if you prefer variables to numbers. In 2009, two scientists ran a simulation that demonstrated what this means. They altered, just a little, the path of Mercury's orbit around the Sun. We're talking about millimeters, so basically less than an inch. And the outcome is that uh, in uh, some of these simulations, either Mercury was completely ejected by the solar system, or it fell into the sun. That's right. A few millimeters of shift in one planet's orbit affected the others with catastrophic results. Which makes you wonder... What sort of disturbance in the universe might create such a shift? If you have a little perturbation, for example, an asteroid, that's no problem. The body is very, very small. But if you have a star or a black hole that passes close by through the solar system, that's going to completely disrupt the solar system. Luckily, our solar system has, so far, been spared from the disruption of a black hole. But in business, disruptions happen all the time. And there are effects on the orbits of customers, suppliers, and employees around your business are difficult to predict. But you actually have one advantage in a business three-body problem. You have the tools to adjust how these different orbits interact. 
And you do that with the power of incentives. That's why I believe building the right incentives is key to scaling your business. But you will need to keep balancing and rebalancing those incentives to hold the system together. You've got to have incredible talent at every position. It's like this huge push. There are fires burning when you're going home. Can you believe it? Such an idiot. And then you go back to, this is totally going to be amazing. There are so many easy ways. So, so, so I have no idea what to do. Sorry, we made a mistake. But you have to time it right. Oops. Working at a three-bedroom apartment. Stuff that just seems absolutely nutballs. Ten years later, I'm like, well, that's just how you do it. We haven't made just how you do it. This is Masters of Scale. We'll start the show in a moment after a word from our premier brand partner, Capital One Business. I woke up in the middle of the night because I had this nightmare that we were front page news that we've done the stupidest mistake of our life by making this pivot. <laughs> That's Aparna Saran, Chief Marketing Officer for Capital One Business. And she's recalling a moment from her previous position at Capital One when she was heading up a team designing a new business card. We had just made the decision to go all in and sunset the prior version of the product, which was honestly the cash cow for our business. When we made that decision within a senior leadership meeting, as someone who had been on the journey to build this out for five plus years, it was really exciting. But by the time the weekend hit, I started to feel the responsibility and the pressure. We are taking this big bet on something that I've built. Perhaps you've been there. You've made a pivotal decision and then panic sets in. How would Aparna calm her butterflies and steer her team through this pivot? We'll find out later in the show. It's all part of the Refocus Playbook, a special series where Capital One Business highlights stories of business owners and leaders using one of Reed's theories of entrepreneurship. Today's Playbook Insight, have multiple plan Bs. I'm Reed Hoffman, co-founder of LinkedIn, partner at Greylock, and your host. And I believe building the right incentives is key to scaling your business. But you will need to keep balancing and rebalancing those incentives to hold the system together. Charting the future paths of complex systems contains a frustrating number of unknowns. Whether you're talking about planets or a business ecosystem, those paths may look stable, but teeny changes to one can have big impacts on the other. And of course, every so often, a stray black hole comes crashing through. One way to keep these groups moving in harmony is by thinking in terms of incentives. This could mean everything from lowering prices to bring in customers to raising salaries to attract top talent. When you adjust incentives, you affect the trajectories of every stakeholder that orbits your business. But creating incentives isn't something you do once because incentives change as people do. For example, a three-year-old might be motivated by a balloon or a toy truck. As an adult, it might be stock options or health insurance. Try motivating a toddler with the promise of a dental plan. This natural progression is true of everyone within your ecosystem too. So you must constantly check in and revisit the value propositions driving scale. It's a journey that lasts as long as your business does. I wanted to talk to Cindy Mee about this because as the founder and CEO of the online learning platform, VIP Kid, 
Cindy has long expertise in how to create and adjust incentives. VIP Kid was founded as an app to connect native Chinese-speaking students ages 4 to 12 with native English-speaking teachers from the U.S., Canada, and beyond. The classes immerse young students in English, so the teachers themselves aren't required to speak Chinese. VIP Kid didn't invent immersive language classes, of course, but Cindy helped bring the process online with unique one-on-one video sessions that make it easier for young kids to focus. VIP Kid teachers also incentivize their students with games, stories, bright colors, and lots of positive reinforcement. At its height, VIP Kid hit a $3.5 billion valuation with over 100,000 teachers on their platform delivering 200 million classes as a team. These days, VIP Kid is in the midst of a massive pivot prompted by a policy change in China, which we'll get to later in the show. But their scale journey is one of classic entrepreneurial lessons on handcrafting, slashing and burning, crisis management, and grit. In Cindy's case, what ties these lessons together is her masterful use of creating and adjusting incentives to land each pivot. Intriguingly, Cindy's origin story of becoming an edtech founder starts with her becoming disincentivized in school. I moved to a city called Harbin near the Russia border when I was the seventh grade. And then I met a math teacher whom, you know, obviously hated me. It's kind of a still a nightmare if I think about that math teacher in the math class when I didn't do well. I lost a semester of learning because of change of school and I lost all my confidence in learning math. The obvious disdain from Cindy's teacher took a dramatic turn one day. I would read science fiction books in the math class. And then one day she tore the book. And then she threw it at me and she kicked me out of the classroom. And she said, you're the worst student I ever met and you don't belong here. This would be embarrassing for anyone. But for a student in the Chinese educational system at that time, it was borderline ruinous. In that awful moment, Cindy lost any incentive to push past her obstacles in the class. Instead, she disengaged. This demotivated feeling is one I actually remember from my own middle school experience, which I shared with Cindy. When I was in seventh grade, I was taking a French class that was so boring that I read a science fiction book all through class. And when I was asked any questions, I said, je ne sais pas, you know, which I don't know was the thing. (laughs) Out of curiosity, what kinds of science fiction were you reading, if you remember, as the escape from a horrible classroom experience? It's a science fiction magazine, and they spend all my lunch money buying those magazines. And then early on, had the story of Liu Cixin, who wrote the famous, I think, three-body problem. Three-body problem, yep. Right, yes. As you may have guessed, this exchange with Cindy about Liu Cixin inspired our planetary metaphor at the top of the show. Cindy's love of science fiction was a gateway for her curiosity about the wider world. That curiosity became its own incentive. Even as she tuned out of math class, she tuned in to a different project, teaching herself English. The first English song I learned is Country Road by John Denver. So technically, he's my first English teacher. The lyric said, Country Road, take me home to the place I belong. West Virginia, mountain mama, country road, take me home. 
So that just got me wonder about this global curiosity. Where is West Virginia, and why do the singer call the mountain Mama? For Cindy, learning the answers to these tantalizing questions was all the incentive she needed. She started buying herself English lessons on audio cassette. If you remember those, she had another way to accelerate her learning as well. Her uncle was in the tutoring business, teaching English to small children. I joined my uncle part time for his tutoring school. In the place where he lived, a two-bedroom apartment where it's a bedroom at night but a classroom during the day. So I saw him and his wife,、uh, my aunt-in-law, teaching all the time, and then I would help them during the weekend. I saw those three-year-old, four-year-old learning English while I learned myself, and then I had so much fun, you know, interacting with the kids and see how my uncle attracted their attention by engaging the kids, playing games with them, telling them stories, even cook for them, or bought a few computers. That's 1990. Seven in China. That's like very early on. Kids are so attracted to that. Cindy watched her uncle teach a masterclass, not just in English, but in creating the right incentives, because four-year-olds respond to stories and games, not severe rote memorization. For Cindy, who was not much older than these children herself, something clicked. School didn't have to be a place of humiliation and shame. It could be a place where learning is fun. Cindy enjoyed helping her uncle as a teaching assistant, but she was soon thrust into the role of instructor. The first class was, I think, a coincidence. My aunt-in-law was sick, and my uncle said, "Oh, we can't find any replacement teacher, so you know, why don't you go?" Cindy was given the news at seven o'clock for a class that would start at eight. I was totally unprepared, but then he said, "You know, they're just learning A, B, C, and D's. Why don't you go have some fun, teach them all these alphabet, and then, you know, tell them some stories, and that's three hours." He sounded easy, but then I walked in. There are twenty students, three year old, one little cousin, a brother and sister. They got into a fight. I had to pull them away and then tell the, a story to the whole class. Now, thanks to my science fiction stories, they all got attracted to the story and they wanted more. And then I was able to say, "Let's learn all these letters, and then we'll be able to, you know, enjoy more stories." As incentive structures go, this one is a classic. First, endure this hardship for a greater reward right after. But there's a second lesson we can learn from Cindy's offer to her students. There are often ways for buyer and seller, or in this case, teacher and pupil, to align their incentives. Cindy wanted to share her sci-fi adventure stories with the children, just like the children wanted to hear them. Both were looking forward to the reward. With this fact in place, the children were perfectly happy to take on the ABCs. Keep this in mind when you think about the relationship between yourself and your customer, or if you have a marketplace product. The relationship between customers and providers, their incentives may not be totally aligned, but they don't have to be fully oppositional either. Bolstered by her successful trial by fire with the three-year-olds, Cindy leaned into teaching. She helped her uncle with his tutoring business, and in 2000, she helped him move to Beijing to form a brand new brick-and-mortar school. They called it ABC. English. I was 17 years old, 
So I've been a student learning English for a few years, and also I've been teaching part-time for a couple of years. But then that's a critical moment of life. Do I go to college or do I start to teach English like full-time with my uncle and build this English thing? So I had a very hard time making that decision. This was a huge risk for Cindy, especially in an environment where higher education was not only valued, but considered the only route to success. But the possibilities entrepreneurship had to offer were a powerful incentive. Cindy decided it was worth a shot. So we drove a Volkswagen car from Harbin back to Beijing. So that's a few days drive. When we got there, it's a time when Beijing just successfully got approved for the 2008 Olympics. I can still remember the night where everyone celebrates in the city, and it feels such a global atmosphere, right? People are thinking, wow, Beijing is going to be an international city now. Everyone is coming to Beijing. So great time for parents to decide for their kids that they want to learn English. The Olympics put a clear incentive in front of the parents of Beijing. They had eight years before their city would be on the world stage. Cindy and her uncle were there to help the next generation get ready. What were some of the early lessons in that effort to start ABC English? You can always dream big, but you got to start small. So the first year, trying to get from zero student in Beijing, where nobody knows about us, to a hundred student is such a struggle. There are just a few of us, and then we all need to be both teachers and student recruiters. This is an excellent observation and key to building any network product. You need to get multiple flywheels spinning at once on the customer side and the provider side by offering the right incentives. ABC English was a brick-and-mortar education company, but the rules for growth are the same as for online businesses. Cindy needed to recruit teachers and students at the same time, calibrating the incentives for each. So typical day generally would start from 6.30 when we stand in front of the schools and trying to send out flyers to the parents and then persuade them that they should come for trial class. And then parents would be like, who are you? What do you do? Why would we be there? And we would be like, we have all these little books or pencils or even school bags for your kid as a gift. Why don't you just come for a few lessons and see for yourself whether you would like it? Giving out little school bags was a modest enticement, but the handcrafted charm worked. Parents did start to enroll in ABC's learning centers, and the company started to thrive. Soon, 100 students became 200, and eventually, many more. From 2000 to 2012, through that many years of building the company, we had 20,000 students. That's a very proud number compared to 100, right? We could spend an entire episode breaking down what helped the company grow their customer base by 200x, like orienting their success around students' overall engagement and not just mastery of certain isolated skills. Or like fostering a strong connection between teachers, students, and their families. But instead, we're going to accelerate to the point where after a dozen years in business, ABC English hit a plateau. Two major challenges. Number one is the content problem, because the content are basically books, And then it's never been updated. It's not interactive enough for the kids. When children are all on portable devices these days, are cartoons, 
gamification, interactive games, nothing can attract them. In the span of time that ABC English had been running, a wandering star called the smartphone had disrupted multiple industries, including education. Of course, China was the center of smartphone manufacturing. It took a little longer for iPhones to start making their way into the hands of Chinese customers. But by 2012, 82% of the Chinese population had a cell phone, and Chinese customers were buying smartphones at a faster rate than in the U.S. And then teachers by then, in 2012, sometimes are still using audio cassettes in the classrooms where you're having all these fancy big TV screens that you can utilize for teaching. So content is such a challenge. But as a brick-and-mortar company with a small number of students, you don't have that investment into content. Remember, incentives change over time. What appeals to an infant isn't what appeals to that same child as a teenager. And what held the attention of kids in the early 2000s wouldn't cut it for the kids of 2012. But there was a second incentives problem Cindy was dealing with, and this one couldn't be solved with a device. The bigger problem is the teacher supply problem, because apparently parents all believe it, not only in China, but Asia, anywhere people want to learn English, you should learn from teachers from the U.S. or Canada. But then it's so difficult to get teachers to make it to China. The demand for native English-speaking teachers was fast outpacing Cindy's ability to recruit them. For some people, moving thousands of miles away to teach English in a place where you don't speak the language yourself is a daring adventure. For others, it can sound daunting, lonely, or even frightening. I tried really hard to bring teachers from the U.S. to China. I even went to Portland, Oregon, and rented a place right off the city library. I got so many interests, but no one actually went because everyone said, oh, we've got the house and the dog, the family, the kids. Sorry, cannot make it, right? So then I thought I should really try to do it online. Today, a pivot to online teaching seems like a natural decision. But in the pre-pandemic, pre-Zoom world of 2012, it seemed more like a story from Cindy's sci-fi magazines. Even so, putting classes online would create a much-improved value proposition for teachers. It would allow Cindy to recruit instructors from the West without asking them to move halfway around the world. It seemed like the right direction. Just one problem. I tried a online division and failed miserably. I can't hire tech talent. And also the brick and mortar company don't really understand the value of the tech talents. My uncle was like, stock option? What do you mean? I mean, so it didn't really work. In solving one incentives challenge, she had opened up another. Cindy saw she wasn't going to be able to win the talent she needed. If she was going to get this new idea off the ground, she was going to have to send an asteroid crashing through her current business. The idea was to get the online division of the previous company slashed and burned and move on and start anew. So I really fought hard with my family for the idea that now I want to start something by myself again. And they're like, are you crazy out of your mind? There are 20,000 students and then, then you want to build from zero again? But then I said, there's no way I can do this. I've got to start anew. This was clearly a jump off the cliff moment in Cindy's entrepreneurial journey. But the incentive for her to make the leap was compelling. She saw that the flywheel at her old company was stuck. And she had a better chance of putting the right incentive structures in place by building something new. 
from scratch. We'll be back in a moment after a word from our premier brand partner, Capital One Business. There was panic that set in that night because I didn't want to let people down. We're back with Aparna Saran of Capital One Business. She was recalling the time she woke up in a cold sweat, terrified that the new product she had been working on might fail. So the next morning, she sat down and wrote an email. It was Sunday morning, and I said, you know what? I'm going to just like share this with my peers. It was very emotional. It was like sort of a cry for help. Aparna realized that if the new product didn't take off, she needed a plan B, preferably multiple plan Bs. I'm inviting them to be the thought partners so that we are mitigating as much risk as possible and we have contingency plans in place as we make this move. You write something like this and your heart is pounding, should I send this? It was a super vulnerable moment for me. But then I was like, I'm going to just send this. Like, what's the worst that will happen? It can't be worse than being on the front page of the newspaper. So she held her breath and hit send. What happened next would surprise even her. We'll hear about that later in the show. It's all part of Capital One Business's Spotlight on Business Leaders, following Reed's Refocus Playbook. We're back on how to create and keep creating better incentives within your business with Cindy Mee, a VIP kid. If you're enjoying this episode, we hope you're incentivized to share it with friends. Just hit the share button in your podcast app. And hear my complete conversation with Cindy, become a Masters of Scale member at mastersofscale.com. There, you'll hear some great moments we didn't have time for in the episode, like how VIP Kid developed a reciprocal program for their English-speaking teachers to learn Mandarin. And you'll hear how they navigated the international spotlight after an investment from the late Kobe Bryant. You won't want to miss it. When we left off, Cindy had slashed and burned the tutoring business she tended for a dozen years in order to build something new. She started by heading back to school to pursue her MBA. This included a semester abroad at Cornell University, and it was there that she started observing the real incentives that might drive Western teachers to her mission. When I traveled, I see so many amazing people, teachers in K-12, they love to teach. They care so much, and they're so humble, and they're so caring and passionate, but then they don't have part-time job. With this observation under her belt, Cindy created a new business plan, finished her semester abroad, then returned home to China to build a brand new company. She called it VIP Kid. So it built on a bunch of stuff you already knew, right? Which is like, okay, how do we create really good learning experiences? How do we have, you know, students having delight in education? But now you have new elements. You have, oh, well, it has to be done through technology. You have to recruit teachers because you have to have this network. When I think about this online platform, I describe it as a double-sided impossible trinity at scale. The double-sided impossible trinity at scale may sound more like a killer band name. Than a classic business term. But when Cindy describes what it means, what it actually resembles most is the three-body problem from the start of the show. Student success and teacher success build on a lot of things they want, right? So I think they all want affordability, flexibility, and stability. 
but then on different terms. And they're always conflicting with each other. So for affordability, teacher want higher income and student want lower cost. And then for stability, teacher want more quantity of classes. Students want the quality of the teaching so that they have a great experience. For flexibility, teachers want more flexible schedule on their own terms, and then parents want more choices to find out the teacher they're most suitable with. So if you put these two triangles together, then how do we build on the student success and teacher success? For her platform to work, Cindy knew she would have to manage those three different incentive drivers, affordability, flexibility, and stability. And how they manifest on the student side versus the teacher side is different. But which player do you orient around first? For Cindy, the choice was clear. We focused on the student for the first one year. We cannot really design for the teacher yet because if we don't have any student, then there's no story going forward. Exactly. If VIP Kid was going to succeed, it had to put the child's learning experience at the center of its gravitational universe. Because in the end, how well the student learns is the measuring stick that matters. The IP kid focused in on that goal, way, way in. There came four first students. The four students are children of our first investors, three of them. And one is a friend child of my co-founder, Jesse. Teaching the children of her investors and of her co-founder's good friend, Cindy definitely had incentive to make the platform work. But in those early days of video conferencing, VIP Kid was navigating questions like how to use colorful backdrops without causing the webcams to blur, or how to support picture-in-picture animations. Every day we're so nervous, and the online classroom experience for the start was a challenge. How do you build the content online with a shared screen to the kids? In the beginning, there cannot be videos. It just photos. But then can you make animated photos so it looks like it's moving? And then how do you design that big letter B so kids really love it? B is the letter of the day. We just have to show the parents this works and how it works so the parents see for themselves. So it's around that engagement for the student and to build the relationship with the parents so they trust the experience. Orienting around student learning incentives would be the company's guiding star. The VIP Kid team worked for months developing their platform around the four young children of investors and friends. They improved their video software and helped hone the teacher's 25-minute lesson plans. When they were satisfied with their learning experience, they made a video promoting VIP Kid for social media. It was a much-updated version of standing outside schools with flyers and gift bags of school supplies. We're saying, oh, this is a second cohort of pilot program. We're looking for more kids now. We're finally open. Limited offering. Only 10 seats. It was a bit of manufactured scarcity. But Cindy saw immediately how the perception of exclusivity motivated parents. We had 50 more inquiries. Wow, everyone tried to call me because they saw this program. Like, oh, so limited. The video experience looks so good. And they have so many questions. Every parent's, can it work online? What is a video conferencing software? How is the content designed? Where's your teachers? How can I schedule? Because they were still small, Cindy could take the handcrafted step of calling and meeting one-on-one with parents considering enrollment. 
to answer those questions. This attention to detail became its own incentive for parents to enroll. By the end of the year, we have our 100 students. At this point, the VIP kid flywheel was gathering speed. Parents were telling other parents. And in fact, one ended up telling a lot of people. So there was a parent. She is a key opinion leader on the Weibo, the Twitter of China. And one day, she just felt happy about her child learning with us on the platform, and she posted a few photos of the kid. Very cool. Wearing a headset in front of a computer screen with a teacher. And then all of a sudden, her followers thought, this is also limited supply stuff. They're like, how do I sign up? I want to sign up. We got panicked because there are a few thousand registered came in on the day. And the parents tried to call us or contact us through all the social media. Some said, is it a scam? What's wrong with you people? <laughs> Why don't you pick up your phones? So everybody, the co-founders, even our engineers got on the phone to talk to parents. Engineers are very unhappy. They're like, we're so busy with all the coding and we don't want to talk to people. <laughs> Why do we have to be customer service? Note, not every disruption to your planetary system will be negative, like a collapsing star. It could be a delegation of friendly aliens bringing transformative technology, but it will still upend your system of incentives. At VIP Kid, suddenly everyone in the company, including grumbling engineers, was recalibrating their orbit. The company-wide scramble to accommodate demand highlighted a larger-scale challenge for the company. We don't have enough teachers at all. So every day we start to wrap our heads around, where do we find the teachers? If you'll remember, this was where Cindy got stuck in her quest to grow her last school. She didn't have enough native English-speaking teachers living locally, and incentivizing teachers to move from the U.S. and Canada had proven a challenge. But as an online platform, VIP Kids' potential recruitment pool was every teacher in North America who needed some extra cash, which basically means every K-12 teacher out there. Cindy knew from her time in the U.S. that many teachers there, unfortunately, don't earn as much as they deserve so they often look for supplemental income. But here, notice how Cindy made an important choice in how VIP Kid calibrated their pitch. Our head of teacher community, Kevin Klein, she's amazing. She always say, the first 100 people defines the community. For first 100 teacher we're looking for really defines who we are. That's a lesson for every company, and especially any network platform. The first 100 people really do set the tone and shape of the culture. So you need to be intentional about who you attract and how. To start recruiting the teachers, we didn't put out a advertisement say, teach online, make 20 bucks an hour. We thought we wouldn't get the right people. So we put out a campaign to our teachers, but also in the social media online, and we say, join the fun, be the inspiration. Notice, Cindy wasn't talking about changing the payment incentive itself. She was talking about how it was presented to their teacher market. And when the first applicants came in, she saw they were people incentivized not by money, but by the rewards of the job. The first 10 teachers, many of them are Teach for All fellows. And then they have their network around the world. We actually talked about that Teach for All network with the organization's founder, Wendy Kopp. You can find that episode in our show feed. 
those are amazing young people who love education. That's why they got into this two-year program where they barely make a little money or no money, right, just to, to teach. So I think we really got the first 100 teachers right. This is a powerful lesson in building incentives into your business. Part of the game design you use to build your platform is about which incentives you highlight at what time. Cindy's team took this principle to heart as they continue to build out the incentive structure of their platform. VIP Kid built a rating system for the teachers, just like Uber or TaskRabbit or any other marketplace platform. Instead of five stars, the teachers would get rated five apples. And with that high grade would come real, tangible benefits. So teachers who does a great work can have priority uh, in booking because parents tend to choose to work with the ones that have a great Apple rating in our system. The IP Kid also chose to make parents' comments visible and left room for teachers to leave comments for parents. This was a way to create feedback loops to help teachers and students get better results. In terms of the class experience, we have a designed loop where all these ratings, comments are given to the teachers on their portal. So they're encouraged to improve by learning more material online, engaging with their mentors. So that's a loop. And then when the students, after learning the class, take assessment, they will then be pushed with more content so that they can improve as well. But then beside the designed ones, there are a lot natural ones as well, right? For example, we have the student earning uh, rewards and then they can use those for like a greeting card for the teachers. So students will be writing a beautiful card to the teacher and build the relationship. You can hear how these feedback loops tie the fates of each player together. The incentive for each person to serve their counterpart well becomes the gravity that keeps customers and providers orbiting around each other instead of spinning off on their own trajectories. VIP Kid also used clever incentive tactics to get their existing teachers to recruit new ones. To grow from 10 teachers to 100 teachers is not that bad. But then the problem is how to get it to 100,000. We started by thinking, well, it can never work by performance marketing, right? You can never get to the right people. It's just such a close community. So then we launched this referrals program where we launched a portal for the teachers, for them to check and see the status of their referees. This referral program let current teachers cultivate high-quality referrals and check in on their progress. In other words, it both distributed the work of recruitment and gamified it. We did tell the teachers, if you bring a friend on board, teach, then you would get a hundred US dollars. So we do have a lot of teacher social media navigated, uh, hosted by our teacher ambassador. This referral system was a massive recruitment and training unlock. Social media channels with names like Teacher Mike or Teacher Stephanie would get tens of thousands of views in which current VIP kid teachers would advise new teachers on everything from how to create props and animated backgrounds to how to work your mic and video camera. We also build a whole coaching system around it because teachers are natural coaches. The referral system had an obvious benefit to VIP Kid in accelerating scale. It had an equally obvious financial benefit to the teachers making the referrals. But it also benefited the new teachers in a real way, giving them tools to succeed 
in their new video classroom environment. This story is a great reminder that one way to keep up with evolving conditions is to incent your users to invest in the platform. It's a way to distribute the work without eroding the quality of returns. Eventually, VIP Kid was receiving 10 to 20,000 teacher applications a month. They started expanding their offerings to subjects like science, math, and history. And they began hosting major conventions for teachers around the United States. In 2018, they cleared a $500 million round of financing. By 2020, when the pandemic started introducing everyone to the idea of online school, VIP Kid had reached a $3.5 billion valuation. They had around 100,000 teachers in their system with around a million students throughout their then eight-year lifespan. And that's where we might have ended the story, except for the fact that in 2021, a truly seismic policy change in China ripped a hole in the foundation of the VIP Kid universe. In August of that year, the Chinese government made two announcements. One, they were banning all for-profit tutoring companies for core school subjects. And two, they were banning the use of foreign-based tutors. Shares in education funds, including VIP Kid, plummeted, and the industry was sent reeling. The company had two months to comply. The policy shift happens. It must feel just like the ground falling out from underneath you relative to the level of impact on the business. So how did you think about it? How did you start adjusting? What were the lessons from that early adjustment? Your description of uh, floor <laughs> falling right under the feet is such a precise one. It's almost like an earthquake. So it doesn't allow live streaming tutoring from any teacher offshore from China. It is such a unexpected challenge for everyone on the team, including myself, of course. But I think it's even more disheartening to feel the pain of the teachers when they lose the connection, the relationship with their students, the family they've known for years, and also the fact that it impacted so much on their income. It just breaks my heart. I know many teachers' livelihood depend on it. Remember, with any multiplayer system, each trajectory affects the others. When part of the system is disrupted, so are the rest. <laughs> the first few months has been so challenging. Then we just share with the teachers, acknowledging the fact, right? So it's going to be worse before it's getting better. In a moment like this, when a black hole opens up and throws your system into chaos, remember that you are the central gravitational force keeping your stakeholders together. It means, above all, being human with all your constituent groups. That's what Cindy kept in mind when she recorded a video for all VIP kid instructors in October of 2021. I think I did the recording, the team and I, we did it over 20 times just to make sure that we, we convey the right message. We assured the teachers that we're there for the long run. So when there is a will, there must be a way. So we're working on it day and night um, to find that new lighthouse. One unexpected outcome of this moment was the response Cindy received from the teacher community. One thing I want to mention is I really appreciate our teachers' support and empathy along the way. They, they just sent so many emails from LinkedIn saying, you know, stay strong. We're here with you through this hard time where VIPK changed my life. I'm not going to leave. 
This incredible support provided Cindy with all the incentive she needed to keep going. Instead of folding VIP Kid, she pivoted their base of operations to Singapore, and they're now expanding their work across Asia. There is a global needs from parents to learn English in ASEAN. There are 1.5 billion people who wants to learn English, and they all want to learn from North American teachers, right? So it's just so natural that we work with these parents. And also, I think now we think about it, there are so many more amazing partners out there. Those partners include Topica, a Vietnamese learning company that recently created a mashup with VIP Kid called Topica Kid. Cindy also cited another surprising partner, American school districts whose student outcomes have suffered due to the pandemic. We are serving quite many school districts and schools here in the United States. The learning loss needs to be addressed. So many schools, school districts reach out to us and saying, you know, why don't you help children reading and math and improve their learning? But Cindy and her team know it will take time to make all the necessary adjustments to their ecosystem. In the meantime, their teacher community needs tangible incentives to stick around. So VIP Kid sent out a huge survey to every teacher in its network, trying to assess what form those incentives might take. We sent out a questionnaire to 40,000 teachers, and then we got almost 20,000 replies. So that's really amazing. They took 20 minutes to do the questionnaire, telling us what they're good at, what they want to do. Once the survey results came back, Cindy and her team designed a new program based on what their teachers told them might get them to stay. It's a membership program to help teachers grow their own careers. They call it VIP Teacher. We would have our teachers build their own personal brand and also through the partners and also the effort of their own teach on their own terms. We provide them with all the system, the tool, the transaction, everything they need. And also we provide continued education to hone teachers' skills in this creator economy so they can even do more. VIP teachers also receive tools for growing their networks and hosting events. It's all in service of helping teachers build their personal brands. Teachers are the creator of the, of the new age. They can teach a lesson. They can build curriculum. They can build all their Instagram, a YouTube, TikTok content. They can coach other teachers. They can be advisors to, to schools and school districts. They can even start an online school under their own name, under their own brand. Everything is designed for the teacher's income, for the teacher's stability, and for the teacher's flexibility. If you remember, VIP Kid was designed to put the student at the center of the universe. With VIP Teacher, that shifts. Time will tell whether the VIP Teacher membership platform will succeed. Remember the teachings of the N-body problem. Even small changes, much less seismic ones, have big impacts you can't predict. But as of now, VIP Teacher has a 4,000-person waitlist. They're building and rebuilding using the best incentives within their reach. How will these incentives affect the communities of families, students, and teachers in orbit around them? We don't know yet, but that's the beauty of a challenge that lasts as long as your business does. I'm Reid Hoffman. Thanks for listening. And now, a final word from our brand partner, Capital One Business. Throughout the day, text messages and emails kept pouring in. Whatever you need, just let us know. 
We're back one more time with Aparna Saran of Capital One Business. She was telling us about a Sunday morning email she fired off in a moment of panic. Minutes later, her inbox was overflowing, and the support she found wasn't just emotional, it was practical. We talked about detailed contingency plans, and we created our go-to-market strategy before we are in full rollout mode, we are at stage gates, so that we could test and quickly learn and iterate. And within a matter of like six months, as we were rolling things out channel by channel, those stage gates would allow us to pivot if we saw something that we didn't like. That day, Aparna learned a lesson that stayed with her. Having multiple plan Bs doesn't just expand your options. It gives you new opportunities. The best way to pivot is actually open doors for thoughtful conversations because humility in knowing that you actually don't know everything as well as the empathy in knowing that disruption is always drastic and abrupt helps you go through that pivot with other people in a very different way. Capital One Business is proud to support entrepreneurs and leaders working to scale their impact from Fortune 500s to first-time business owners. For more resources to help drive your business forward, visit CapitalOne.com slash Business Hub. That's CapitalOne.com slash Business Hub. Masters of Scale is a Wait What original. Our executive producers are June Cohen, Darren Triff, and Jordan McLeod. Our head of content and production is Lori Hoffman. Our producers are Adam Skuse, Catherine Clark-Bray, Alex Morris, Tucker Ligurski, and Chris Gauthier. Our editor-at-large is Bob Safian. Our music director is Ryan Holiday. Original music and sound design by Eduardo Rivera. Audio editing by Keith J. Nelson, Stephen Davies, Andrew Nolt, and Brad Worrell. Mixing and mastering by Brian Pugh. Special thanks to Chris Yeh, Elisa Schreiber, Paria Finger, Saida Sapieva, Greg Beato, Adam Heiner, Alfonso Bravo, Colin Howarth, Willem Crowles, Tim Cronin, Kelsey Capitano, Samuel Puta, Anna Pisano, Sarah Tarter, Leah Sermetis, Charlie Manessis, Chineme Azequena, Emily McManus, Hallie Bondi, and Sierra Black. Become a member of Masters of Scale to get access to a year's worth of courses and content on the Masters of Scale courses app. Find out more at mastersofscale.com slash membership. <laughs>